Fulhamish is back for the season by Ladbrokes. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish podcast. Hello, it's the Fulhamish podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC or your regular Fulham FC audio agony aunt as it is the moment. My name's Sammy James. Thank you for listening today. And well, in this episode, we'll be looking back at Sunday's Liverpool defeat as 13 seconds of madness, debatable the time actually, potentially denied Fulham a crucial result at Anfield. Uh, I'm going to introduce the panel today by things I reckon they could achieve within 13 seconds debatable <laughs> so uh, we'll start off keep it clean uh, a man who could probably see off a Guinness in that time Jack Collins hello listeners you can, Thanks, see, you, you can see off a Guinness in that time couldn't you yeah yeah that's, that's, that one's okay. okay we can deal with that we might put it on the next uh, the next uh, full time if we're lucky yeah I, I'd enjoy that post Southampton once misery we've... yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, a man who could probably reel off the Athletic Bilbao first team squad Ben Jarman hello Sammy nice to be back yeah yeah it's been ages it has been a long, long time. Could you reel off the Atlantic Bilbao first team scored in 13 seconds? 13 and a half. Okay, good. Uh, and a man who could no doubt write an excellent reportage of Fulham's record-breaking leaky defence, Drew Heatley. I'd give it a good go. Wouldn't be, it wouldn't be hard to do. No. At the moment. That's such a damning statement, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> that wouldn't be difficult, would it? You need 13 seconds to rip through the entire squad. <laughs> Um, so thank you for listening today as I said we'll be looking back at the Liverpool defeat and a bit of a debate as well on ticket prices coming up uh, just to say this season Fulhamish is backed by Labricks for exclusive specials and promotions head to bets.fulhamish.co.uk uh, let's do some three word reviews Jack from yesterday's 2-0 defeat at Anfield yeah there was quite a lot of them as ever with a defeat but there are some good ones Marty Ward's We Need VAR I thought was clever there were a lot of VAR ones yeah AF with Charlie Austin Profit it was actually the most liked response this week. So. Have you seen the Charlie Austin Park Life? Yeah, no, very, very good. <laughs> the Cruel Truth with Semblance of Plan, which yeah. I thought was tidy. Reese Parkinson, changes needed. I'm assuming he's not talking about the manager, considering he's quite a you know, vehement Slavin man. So I think he means just in general with the referees. Okay. Uh, and I liked Adbron Smith's Callum de Rossi. I like that one as well. Very nice. Well, plenty of uh, Ca- Callum de Rossi chat coming up. I'll final with. I'll finish with. I think probably what I'll end up naming this episode, if I'm being perfectly honest. But Matty Man with cops and robbers. Obviously, cop in the old Liverpool sense of the word, which I thought was quite tidy. Well, Jack, you were there at Anfield yesterday. Was. It was a bit of a weird, subdued atmosphere. I found watching on the telly. Bizarre. Uh, Bizarre. I mean, Sunday midday. I mean, the preview I did with John from the Anfield Rap. Um, he said it was going to be like that, so it wasn't uh, too much of a shock. Drew, it's, it's incredible to be finding positives after a sixth consecutive defeat, but for me, that's the case, really. Yeah, I, when it got to full-time, my, my first residing thought was that the last 20 minutes were, were pretty poor from us, or the second half was poor from us. But actually, when you sit back and you look at it and you sort of digest it and the dust settles, yeah, it was. It was positive. There was a number of different points, and you know, I put a few of them up on Twitter and, and people seem to agree. Um, it's much like the City game, um, but this time in the league. But obviously, you need to get to a point where we're saying, well, actually, plenty of positives today, uh, one of which being we took some points. Exactly. I mean, it's still no points, but at least there is some signs of life. Ben, uh, three changes from Slav. Uh, Chambers, Mawson and Christie in for Seri, Timothy Fossumens and Vieto. What was Slav trying to do with this formation? It felt to me at times we were basically playing like a back six 
Yeah, it was pretty clear that it was almost a case of contain, contain, contain for as much as you could. And is that the first time that. Slavs ever tried to contain a team in our in, at Fulham? From from memory, recent memory, yes. And uh, yeah, that's the first time I can remember him ever trying to contain and not play his style of football. And I thought that perhaps it was the best thing to do in that situation. And the 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 change and bringing Chambers into defensive midfield was actually quite an inspired one. I thought Chambers had a very good game and. The flexibility of him in there gave us, um, yeah, some some really nice flexibility in there. Jack, I guess you can say uh, I told you so on the uh, chambers at number six. Yeah, you've, you've called that. I'll give you some credit. Thanks. I mean, I thought it might be an option given the fact that you know we we gave him a lot of stick and rightly so after the Cardiff game because he was diabolical at right back. But basically, that kind of was because he's slow and his pace was exploited. And his positional kind of sense was 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 a bit weak. But as a central player you'd imagine that bringing him more central into a, a role that he's been familiar with in other you know, in other games, he's played there for Arsenal, he's played there for England under-21s, and you know, bringing him back into that role, he was just a bit like a more mobile Kev McDonald. Mm. He just sort of cut out passes, he was good in the air, he did all the things that you need to do, and it's not, you know, it's not the most positionally difficult role in the world as long as you're disciplined, which is where Anguisse has been going wrong in recent weeks because he doesn't have the positional discipline to sit in the six on his own because he's never done it before. But Chambers does because he actually doesn't try to go on marauding runs. But actually something that went even more in his favour that I thought was, was impressive was the fact that he was always looking for the forward pass. And a lot of you know midfielders look for the backwards pass. And you saw Anguissa do it against Huddersfield where he wouldn't see a pass on and then he'd just turn around and give it back to the centre-backs. Whereas Chambers did look most of the game for the forward pass. And even if that didn't quite come off, it showed a, like a lack of you know, a kind of intent, I suppose, that or a lack of fear in, in making those passes and his own ability. And... Now you've removed the kind of jitteriness of being the last line of defence. He does his role very, very well. And I think that, you know, obviously it's one performance. Let's not get ahead of ourselves too much. But there was plenty there to be positive about going forward. And I think he could make that role his own. Yeah, I think uh, you mentioned about being a central player. That that shows that, you know, these fullback positions are very, very specialised specialized as far as I'm concerned. And, and obviously Chambers was massively out of his depth against Cardiff. And we've been through that. And much the same way that... Uh, now, now we've seen how he can do in the in in the centre. Let's hope that Slav looks at Le Marchand and does the same thing because I still was uh, not particularly impressed with him in that in that first half. Uh, I still think that it, he's obviously not a fullback, and hopefully uh, against Southampton we might see uh, him pair up with Mawson as well. I think one of the biggest things in modern football is the fullback, and it's probably I think in my argument, in my eyes at least, is probably the most important position on that whole pitch. If you have fullbacks that are unable to help support your attack but also help support your defence and show versatility going both forward and backwards, then you're really stuck. And one of the things I hate most about this Fulham team at the moment, aside from letting in bags full of goals, is that we're playing centre-halves at fullback when it's just not their role. And time and time again, they are being exposed like Chambers was against Cardiff and looking very uncomfortable like Maxime Le Marchand has a couple of times, especially at Brighton. Uh, away, but it was almost a case yesterday, and they showed this on the match of the day two analysis, where the four defenders, even the fullbacks, were playing so so narrow that effectively Ryan Sessegnon was doing the left back job at times, and sometimes Andre Scherler was coming back and doing the right back job at times, which is I can understandable when you're away at Anfield, but he can't be doing that against Southampton really. But it didn't seem to stifle the attack too much that whole style in fact I thought we looked more threatening yesterday than we did well in the past month well I think that you know that there's some elements of this 
if we're playing a counter-attacking system, then Sessegnon has to play left wing because he's our most naturally counter-attacking player. He thrives off that kind of ability to get from his own box to the opposition box in quick amounts of time. And, you know, the amount that he's pushed up there, and you saw it in the kind of where he got through on goal, he'd come round the back across Mitrovic and it sort of bubbled off him and went through. And, you know, he was a little bit fortunate in that and, and perhaps should have done better with the finish. But ultimately, if you have him running that channel and running it from deep, then that's going to make more sense in a counter-attacking sense. And I thought that Scherler was was poor in that, in terms of how he got from box to box. Whereas when Vieto came on, and Vieto's not naturally a hard-working kind of player, I suppose, and we've seen that in other games, but actually in where there was kind of the pockets of space, he's able to burst forward much faster. And while Andre Scherler isn't a slow player, he takes ages to get up to full speed, and that's not quite you want what you want when, it, when it's happening like that. You have to you know get up quickly, and it's about acceleration rather than actual top speed. And so, actually, Vieto's introduction really did sort of galvanise us a little bit in that kind of area. I felt, Drew, that Liverpool did find some holes in our defence in the first half, but I wasn't ever that concerned by the chances they were making. They were a tad wasteful. There was the time where Mo Salah just sent Dennis Adoy off back to nursery school with a beautiful <laughs> turn, and I think Adoy is still making his way, sliding towards the Fulham fans right now. But... I'd never felt that threatened, and I guess that was a positive from from my point of view. Let's move on to the incident, the big incident, the 13 seconds or debate. Was someone saying it was nine seconds today? I'd, yeah, I heard it was 9.5 or nine, nine point something. Anyway, it wasn't a lot of time um, between Mitrovic thinking he'd scored and Liverpool actually scoring. Slav called it a disrespect... There's two things you can be aggrieved over here. First is the offside, which... Three things you can be aggrieved over. Okay, tell me. So the offside. Rolling ball. Rolling ball. And the fact that it's just absolutely ridiculous and unsportsmanlike in order to kick off while the other team are still celebrating. And it's not like you can be like, play to the whistle because there's no whistle when the ball goes in the back of the net. You can't, you know, and your natural reaction is to celebrate. Half the team are clumped up with Mitrovic as the ball is kicked off. And the referee is supposed to show a little bit of prerogative in that in that yeah. regard. And it was mentioned today in numerous articles where he's supposed to be like, okay, all right, fair enough, it's not a goal. And yes, it's hard to break a team who are on, on the break. But also, you know, you have to be able to play the game as it stands. And as looking at that from a Fulham perspective, before you see the Lino's flag, they're already celebrating, which takes it away from the whole kind of aspect. And you can accept this in some places, but in Liverpool, where they talk so much about being the spirit of the game and being the, the last place where real football still exists and all that, for them to play like that and do that to another team, for me, is, is I feel like you can't blame Liverpool. Oh, I feel absolutely. like you can blame the referee no, for not stopping I, I, it. I, I don't think... OK, there's one, there's one thing doing it. There's another thing having the kind of hard-headedness not to be like, all right... I'd hate that if it was given against us. But Liverpool fans and players, no one has come out and been like, yeah, we'd really dislike that if that happened to us. And I think that's kind of mad from a team who are so hot on our sportsmanship and, and, and the game coming together and playing the right way. You know, there are p- quotes from Shankly and Dalglish and Paisley all over that ground. And none of them would have watched that and been like, yeah, that's, that's in the spirit of the game. So is it offside, Ben? Because actually I am not 100%. It, it's... It's bloody tight, and for me, if I'm being truly, truly honest and taking away the Fulham glasses, I think his shoulder is slightly off. Can't score with your shoulder, though. It's not a goal-scoring thing. It's and like it, having a hand offside. It's not what Michael Owen said yesterday. Yeah, but Michael Owen's wrong. The rules, <laughs> of the, game, the rules of the game are that you have to have a goal score, a part of your body that can score a goal in an offside position. You can't score a goal with your shoulder. 
And whatever happened to giving, given the advantage or the, yeah, the benefit of the doubt to goes the attacker? Yeah, the attacker, yeah, absolutely. I can understand the Lino, though. At the end of the day, his heel has played him on site. I'm not saying oh, yeah, the linesman's the, the linesman's fine. It's the, not the linesman's fault. It's also blocked. The linesman's view is blocked, is it not? By yeah. Andre Schoen. And you've got to be certain. I don't think he would have been certain. I just can't see how he's certain. I think the benefit of the doubt goes to the attacker. The linesman can't be certain. I find it, I just think that in, the, in real time, I'm surprised it was given. As offside, I can't see a way where, how it was how he could see. Have done I'm it not surprised because I just effectively, if I'm if I'm the lino, okay, yes, Robertson's heel, but the rest of the Liverpool defence had squeezed up quite well. My natural thought when I saw, it, I was like, that's got to be offside. It's too good to be true. It did look that way when he connected with the ball. He's two or three yards behind the Liverpool line, but I think they timed the run almost spot on, or certainly not in the lines of the eyes of the linesman. <laughs> But, but for, for me, me on, a, on a personal level, it's great because it means a short corner worked, and we know what they they always work. Yeah, it was it was it all seemed quite easy, really. Like there was no real pressure on Tom Kearney. He was literally given the freedom of Anfield to put in a delicious ball. Yeah, it's pretty it much really exactly great. how he scored against Burnley, wasn't it? It was almost the yep. exact same goal. Yeah. Um, so, is there much more that really can be said? Well, actually, what can be said is the defending afterwards. There has been criticism of a doy, and whilst he is naive to try and play. Salah offside. I just think it must have all just been such, like, it's so quick. It's yeah. a blur, yeah. Like, Adoy must have just been trying to do anything in that situation to rectify it. He must have only really, really realised two or three seconds before that Liverpool were even in play. And let's not forget who we're playing as well. It's, you know, it's Adoy up against somebody like Salah. It's nine seconds. McManaman on comms absolutely slaughtered us for being asleep. And I just, I think it's a tad harsh. I think there's an argument for and against. But uh, I mean, why? Why there's a why there's a scouser on mainstream media and commenting on a Liverpool game? I don't know. But that's another story. I think it's just all a bit unfair. Uh, you can say, yeah, sure, you know, Adoy shouldn't have been playing him offside or trying to do that. Fair, fair enough. But I just think actually, when you look at it on balance, probably a bit unfair. I actually was quite pleased with the match of the day too analysis of it all I thought it was all quite fair they did pick out the rolling ball they didn't pick out Jack's point which I think I actually hadn't really thought about too much Look, I, I would have taken the goal uh, I'm not suggesting that but afterwards if a fan had asked me about it but yeah I'm not, I don't like that I'm sorry I'm not sure you would though I think I would if, if I think I'd apologise if we had done it to them would you really have apologised yeah, I would think I would. I'm, I'm quite spirit of the game friendly. I'm, not sure. I'm, not I'm very much pure football. One kind thing of. you need to know I'm about me is I'm spirit of the game friendly. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm pretty much Jack. Ninety nine percent of the people that support the team that would have scored that goal would not say I'm sorry. For me, they it's the same as diving and getting a penalty. And I'd admit it's the, yeah, uh, it's the Sterling. It's the Sterling thing from it's the you. week. He should have just put his hands up and be like, I kicked the floor. It's no. it's like when Henri used to do those quick free kicks for Arsenal. Yeah. Like it's all it's it, it's very grey area, and it's one of those things where you fall on one side or you don't. But technically, you know, apart from the ball rolling, they haven't really done anything wrong. No. They just uh, they and they knew they were better than us. But um, at the end of the day, rules of the game, the goal shouldn't have stood. Whatever you think about the the spirit of the game, at the end of the day, there's cold hard facts. Yeah, yeah that, there's black and white on this one. You know, the grey area isn't isn't yes, it's there, but it's not actually relevant because no. the argument the, the the ball shouldn't have been allowed. The goal shouldn't have been allowed to stand. Um, let's move on. Second half, not so positive. I mean, the wind was really knocked out of our sails from that goal. It all just felt so unfair, so unjust. Fulham actually had a couple of chances straight after 
the mm. the goal and and Mitrovic should have done a little bit better Can he could have played in Callum Chambers for potentially the most unlikely goal scorer at the cop end in history yeah. um, I was also going in the Mersey if Callum Chambers had scored that and yeah. made that promise to the Instagram story <laughs> earlier on but it, it's a very small point but the fact that we did have some moves after that game uh, after the goal and we still pushed forward a little bit that's quite positive because I think we would have folded like a deck of cards just a week ago yeah so the very fact that and I thought that at the time the fact that we still you know, had a little bit about us in the immediate aftermath where we must have had the wind knocked straight out of our sails. Mm. I think that's a small a small positive that could mean you could be have a, you know, more ramifications later. That second goal though, Ben, I mean Kenny's just completely switched off. Switched off. I yeah. mean, we always say that the second phase of play is so often where goals come from and you guys have said that on the stats show. It was so obvious that was going back into the box. It it was so easy. It was it was just a little bit farcical and, and there's just no real excuse for losing your man. No, like there's, there's no excuse to be, as a professional footballer, switching off when you know a ball is going to come back into the box and you know you have a man on the corner and you know you stay with him until the ball is cleared properly. You're taught that from the ages of sort of like 10, 11 upwards. You, you know it in Sunday League. You especially need to know it in Premier League football, especially if you see a guy coming off the back post. You know, you know where the ball is going. Christie looks bewildered when that ball hits the back of the net sort of like, turns around, around like where, where's his marker gone and TC's just sort of sloped off and followed the ball it's probably the one of the worst marking habits you could ever have is just following the ball and after such a spirited first half where really defensively I thought we were it showed so much fight we, we might have lost the game anyway but and it would have been hard to come back from from one nil down but for me it was it was such a disappointing moment let's look at a couple of positives though uh, for me Mitro I thought had an excellent game and we've given him a bit of stick in the past few weeks for just not really showing too much interest he's had a difficult job but even so he's just been a little bit sluggish but yesterday some of the touches to bring other players into the game particularly the one where Ryan Sessegnon should have done a lot better Drew I just it felt like Mitro was back yesterday and if we can see that against Southampton if he plays like that he's going to get an awful lot more joy well he's, yeah he's going to have been quite pleased with his own personal performance yesterday he's going to go into the international break with Serbia where we know that he enjoys at the moment he's scoring goals for is he still Nations well. League top scorer he's certainly up there joint I think yeah and then and he's going to come back, uh, you know, hopefully even more revitalised than licking his lips at the thought of getting at Southampton's defence. Uh, and that can only be a good thing for us. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was a massive po- positive. And I said uh, in my tweet yesterday, you know, one of the positives, even as tenuous as it might be, is that he, he remembers what it's like to have the ball in the back of the net. And mm. yeah, it was, you know, ruled off. But, you know, that feeling that he had... He's going to be chasing that. I was listening to Five Live the other day and they were talking about um, some strikers at Southampton that hadn't scored. I think uh, Nathan Redmond scored one in 50, Charlie Austin scored two in 52, Shane Long two in 70. And Ian Wright, they were asking Ian Wright what he what what would he do if he was in that situation? He was just like, let the strikers bang balls into the back of the net from every area possible. Mm. No keeper, nothing. Just let them get the feeling back of scoring a goal. And I think that that's a really big help. Mitro has always been a a confidence player and when you score a goal at Anfield whether it's ruled out or not to get to get that accolade or or that it's going to be a big thing for him as a very ropey striker myself I often know if I'm going to have a good day from when I'm doing the warm up and I'm just banging a ball into an empty net mm-hmm. and if I hit one in one of the ter- first three shots top bins yeah you I'm, know you're alright I'm thinking okay I might actually be 
okay today but if I spoon four over the bar like I generally do <laughs> I was going to say how many, how many good days do we get well, for yeah, every no, bad not, one not very <laughs> many full of, full of focus last year yeah. <laughs> not very many as uh, yeah, that, that game will, uh, will testify um, the other positive for me Sergio Rico for me the debate's over oh yeah, yeah. Oh, easily I, to, for there even to be I think for it even to have taken this long for Sergio Rico to be in that goal and as our number one and showing his credentials is is probably a bit of a joke. The the fact that we have you know maintained this loyalty to someone or two keepers that haven't really shown anything to surpass Rico is just a bit ludicrous in my eyes. And then you look at um, you're talking about those first forty minutes where yeah Liverpool did show their class and Carver's open at times, but they were wasteful at parts. But also I was so confident having Rico then and some of the things he was pulling off. You know not they're not sort of like you know ones for the scrapbook but it's just it's just so nice to have that that confident feeling when they're you know there's somebody the opposition's running on your goal that one, like that, there's one for the scrapbook the one where he stops Salah with his yeah. right hand yeah. as he comes oh, yeah, back yeah. in it's an absolute Strong wonder hand. save yeah. yeah there's an interview he did last week with the official Fulham website and I just thought the way he spoke was very similar to the way he plays. It was very measured, very composed. And he spoke with a lot of confidence and said it's difficult, but we'll find a way back into it. And actually, it's just a nice little watch. And I, I've got a lot of time for him, as you say yesterday. Uh, pulled off a couple of brilliant saves. Pulled off one as well at the cop end. And I don't think it was deflected or anything. Over the bar, he pushes it over the bar. Yeah. Yeah, really good stop. Definitely one for the cameras. Look, okay. This is, a, this is a guy who's won the Europa League, played in the Champions League. He's been in Spain squad. He's a top quality. And he's not phased by going to Anfield. Not at all. He's probably beaten Liverpool on numerous occasions. He's probably, well, he has in the Europa League final. Yeah. And he's yeah. Also, also played at the Bernabeu, New Camp, Mestalla, all massive stadiums with raucous crowds. Like He's not intimidated. And with a squad of players, of which not many have done stuff like that. I know you can say Seri has played at a very good level in, in League 1, but none, none of our squad really have the kind of been there, done that mantra, even Mitrovic. So it's nice to have someone like Rico who, who is composed in that manner. Mm-hmm. Um, bottom of the league two points behind Huddersfield uh, it's been a horrible set of league fixtures when we came into this international break we all said like okay this is when Fulham need to pull up their socks and, and get some points and, and here we are having picked up zero from four I mean it goes without saying really that the, the Southampton game is massive but it's almost got to a point where even beating Southampton for me is a sticking plaster and we then have to pull off some results after that, we've got ourselves in such a mess. I think only three teams have had less points at this stage of a Premier League season than Fulham. I mean, it's 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 highly alarming where we are. Yeah, it, it's it's obviously there's cause for concern, but I think I've said it before, it's very difficult to try and get your head around the fact that, OK, we don't need to try and win every game to, to go up. We need to just make sure we keep pace with the teams around us. And the results uh, on Saturday certainly didn't go our way, but obviously to say we're out of touch would be wrong and inaccurate. We're still, we're still in and around it. There's only a couple of points in it. We've got, I think, five home games between now and the end of the year, and they're all winnable. So, well, we've, I noticed this the other day. We've played seven away games and, and yeah. five home games, which does make a difference yeah there's a slight there's a slight uh, imbalance there and, and all of our home games and the reason I notice this is because I've got deadlines for the programme and I'm literally I've had such an easy run so far and then in December it's it's chocker so they're all coming up thick and fast and if we can get to the end of uh, end of the year with a few of those uh, you know home, home victories uh, it could look a lot different I think something that's kind of interesting to note and something that you, we definitely have to think about is that we've played a lot of the top teams and a lot of the teams around us away and so this Southampton game, obviously, is a big one. But actually, 
you know, the games that are going to come in at the end of the season, the ones that we need to matter, the ones that winning against Cardiff at home, winning against Huddersfield at home. And, you know, it's always harder to go away against the big teams. You know, try and get a scalp at home against one of these teams is a very different ball game to, you know, trying to do it away from, away from home. So we have those things to look forward to in terms of home games. And I think that if we, we can get ourselves together, put ourselves back in the mix and start to find that gel within the team, there's no reason that we can't, you know, kick on. And, and part of that's because the other teams around us have been so bad. Let's not kid ourselves here. We're we're lucky that we're still in the mix in a lot of ways, but we are, and therefore we have to just keep going as we can and and try and finish finish strongly and look to right the wrongs in the second half of the season. Feels like the wheels of of our of our proverbial bus have sort of fallen off, but there's some teams that it could still happen to them. Like the walls may slow down. Huddersfield, you know, <laughs> they didn't look like slowing down yesterday. They, they did unbelievable, but, but they might. They've got fairly shallow squad, and in terms of quality, if you lose the likes of Patricio or Moutinho, you may be really struggling in there. And then there's just a couple of other teams that I think, you know, we can catch them or we can best them. Um, Southampton being one of them, and I'm sure there are other teams that we can take points off. The likes of West Ham, we should be able to take points off. Burnley, we can, when we go around theirs again, we should be able to take points off them. I'm not too discouraged the fact that we've gone from a completely insipid performance away or against Huddersfield to you know a fairly positive performance against Liverpool one of the informed teams in the whole of Europe with an outstanding home record is is a positive for me okay well that should do for the Liverpool analysis uh, up next a little bit of a chat about ticket prices uh, and we've got a stack full of your questions to answer as well hi I'm Collins John and when I'm not re-watching my goal against Middlesbrough I'm listening to the Fulham's podcast Fulhamish has teamed up with One Football, the only football app that you need this season uh, you can get it on both the App Store and on Google Play Using personalised news feeds, push notifications and a user-friendly interface, OneFootball makes it easy to keep up to date with the latest transfer news, scores and stats in one central place. Check out the OneFootball app and let us know what you think of it. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Drew Heatley. Hello. Ben Jarman. Hello. And Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. Would anyone like a fantasy football update? Yeah, go on then. It's been ages, hasn't it, since I've done this. The problem is, is quite often, obviously, we record on a Monday evening and then there's a Monday night football and then you don't get the full standing. So it feels like unfair to give the table out, but all the games have been played, so we, we can do it. Uh, we've got to start off with the manager of the month for October. Um, September and August have still both not claimed their prizes. Yeah, this is rubbish. Work harder. So Alex... Demail, Demile uh, was the winner in September, and Edward Roby was the winner in August. Neither of them have got in contact to claim their prizes. I mean, if you don't want them, lads, we'll keep them. Exactly. So October's uh, is Tom Morey um, with his team, which is eloquently named Gravy Tits. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for it. Gravy Tits is going to win the Fulhamish Fantasy Football and uh, there's nothing we can do about it. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's had an incre- he had an incredible month and he's still top of the league now. Um, there's some brilliant names actually in the uh, top 10 of the Fulhamish Fantasy Football. Um, Sebastian Anderson, whose team is Arnie the Stud Muffin. Uh, George <laughs> Curry, whose team is called Obi-Wan Kenobi Nil. Is that quite an old one? That's very good. Yeah, I think it's, it's established, but yet yeah, still a goodie. An oldie but a goodie is a saying, isn't it? Let's give it that. Um, who is the highest out of all of the Fulhamish boys? Is it still I Farrell? know. No, it's AF and then me and then Farrell, but we're all just outside the top 100. Um, friend of the pod, Archie Rintut, is uh, in 37th, actually. Dean I've just, Jones. I've just noticed. Friend of the pod, Dean Jones, is quite high as well. 
Is he? I can't see him yet. I'm, I'm looking down. But yeah, uh, if you haven't joined the Fulhamish Fantasy League yet, I mean, what are you playing at? It's a little bit late, but you still no, can. you can still join and your points go on as you do. Oh, do they? I okay. Think so, yeah. Well, uh, get involved. I don't know the code, but I'm sure you can find it somewhere. Um, <laughs> Thanks, so. Dean, Dean's in 41. Archie's okay. in 37. Which goes to show that football journalists vaguely know what they're talking about. Yes. Yeah. Unlike us tryhards. I'm yeah. in... I'm in Oh, I'm 987. Oh, I'm above you then. I'm 500 odd. Oh. 987. There's only about a thousand people in the league. I was going to say you must be like your relegation form, mate. Oh, you're going down to championship. <laughs> you're going down to championship fantasy team soon. Full and back three. Yeah. <laughs> I do have Tim Ream on my bench. It's, uh, right. It is all rather worrying. Um, also, just need to do a little bit of a disclaimer. If you listened to last Monday's podcast uh, with myself and Jack, the reason we were talking like this. Uh, we didn't really explain ourselves at the time uh, was because we were in my mate's flat and it was 1am and he was sleeping and getting up at 4.30 the next morning so we were quite conscious not to wake him I didn't really realise it sounded so whispery at the time we recorded but it did all sound a little bit weird so that I thought explains it was it. nice and it, it really summed up the mood I, I know it, just, it all just sounded quite weird when hello welcome to the Fulhamish podcast thought we'd set up an ASMR podcast a bit weird <laughs> someone messaged me to say why does this sound like late night 70s jazz radio <laughs> that's it that's great that's literally what I've been going for <laughs> <laughs> this whole time yeah um, so moving on to a discussion point which is which is quite serious and got a lot of reaction from you guys on social media last week and it's been picked up elsewhere outside of Fulhamish as well and it's ticket prices it's something we addressed earlier in the season and well it's gone from bad to worse and as we mentioned back in August if bad form comes around these things will get worse because people will pick up on it if we were probably where Wolves were in the table this maybe wouldn't be such an issue not that it's right or wrong that that's the case but we all said if Fulham don't play well this season if we're in a relegation battle people are going to get more and more angry so last week Fulham announced the ticket prices for the West Ham game in December which is about 10 days before Christmas Um, it's 5.30 it's on the telly and the cheapest ticket is £55 shocking £55 to sit in the Hammersmith then. There's a small disclaimer. There are about 10 tickets in the entire stadium, which are 30 quid, which are being used as the advertised price on the website in two blocks in the Johnny Haynes. But for the large majority of the stadium, £55. That raises to £75 uh, if you want to be side of pitch. Now, it's just getting to a point, really, where this is, for me, is going too far. And I th- I'm saying it's bordering on disgraceful. It is disgraceful to charge £55 for a game of football in this day and age, 10 days before Christmas. Against West Ham. They're rubbish too. You've you've reached this point now where you can buy two away tickets for the price of one home ticket, right? Yeah. And the club are so unapologetic about the whole thing that even down to their timing, it's absolutely terrible. So the morning after we lose 1-0 away to Huddersfield in a game we really needed to win, then they go on uh, on Tuesday morning, oh, West Ham tickets are on sale. Oh, you know, fill your boots for 55 quid minimum. And it, it's it, the timing su- is, is shoddy. The, the, the whole thing is terrible. But the, the biggest problem here is is how the club is is not only just unapologetic, but it's actually part of their targets to go even higher and to generate more revenue, and that's the worrying bit. I went to find a Fulham statement on the ticket prices. Uh, There barely is one, because I I always think you should give both sides of the argument. The Fulham statement was basically along the lines of 
there are different prices for different matches and a couple of games each season are super cheap. That was the long and short of the statement. It wasn't a statement. It wasn't a games. Well, I think they were saying like you can get tickets. I think they said the Burnley game was £25. Yeah, for about 10 people. I... (laughs) I don't know. I don't have the maths, but that was their statement. There wasn't really too much to it. And it's just getting so far removed. And the argument that they're filling the stadium for me isn't working. It's not the point. It's always going to look vaguely full because we've sold quite a lot of season tickets. Mm. Well, also, so it doesn't, I mean, we're in the Premier League. We're going to get Premier League tourists. We will fill it out at 55 quid. That doesn't save the fact that you are pricing out genuine Fulham fans that we have built over the past few years in the championship that came to Fulham for some cheap football can't commit to a season ticket for one reason or another I wouldn't pay £55 I run a Fulham FC podcast I don't think I'd pay £55 if I didn't I have a season wouldn't. ticket we've done this before and we, we, we seem to be have, we seem to have this sort of innate desire to uh, to sort of alienate a new generation of Fulham fans when we get to the top flight when we, when we were up there last time at the, the early years of the Premier League uh, Fired would not sell, uh, would not sign licensing deals to sell our merch in JD Sports or JJB or Sports Direct or whatever. He wanted it all to go through the club shop so he could take 100% of the profits. Also, part of that, I imagine, is because he was in commercial kind of things himself because yeah, we did have that store at Harrods. So yeah. I imagine that had more, it had some impact in it. And so, yes, you're completely right. I never right. actually knew that. Yeah. I always wondered why our stuff was you're, never in JD Sports. You're completely right. But uh, I can at least see the reasoning behind his thinking in terms of he wanted to have. You know, if it's like Mike Ashley not selling Newcastle oh, shirts outside of Sports Direct. Absolutely, but you know, at twelve years old, you don't you don't even know what Harrods is, is do you? No, no, I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you. I it's, just think it's, 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 it's yeah, I know. I take your point. Your point is though that Fulham have a history of coming up to the Premier League and trying to shortchange and we're doing genuine it, yeah. Fulham fans. We're doing it again now in terms of you know, so twelve years ago, thirteen years ago, you couldn't buy a shirt that your mates were wearing because they wasn't in the same shop, uh, and now they're doing it. Because with the pro- ticket prices and nobody, you know, nobody's going to pay that ten days before Christmas. I mean, we're saying we wouldn't even pay that in in August or May. So they're shooting themselves in the foot, and they're talking about you know raising uh, driving revenue targets and all this sort of stuff. Well, you know, in ten fifteen years, when you know these twelve year olds' dads or mums have retired, and they you know these kids are on their own wages, they're not going to be supporting Fulham. They've already gone down the road to to QPR or whoever's offering a more you know reasonably priced ticket. From my point of view, I think the the thing that hits home so eloquently is the fact that we're paying more for a home game against West Ham United than we did for the game that got us up into the Premier League itself. And it was our most important game of, of our whole club's history. And the fact that we've spent four years in the Championship trying to build a fan base that was desperately lacking new blood at the bottom end of the, uh, of the age demographic, the, the sort of guys that are sort of 10, 12 to sort of 18 years old before the championship didn't really exist and we've done loads in around the boroughs and at grassroots level to try and get those kids in and now we have we're alienating them as quickly as we managed to get them into the club and those relationships we've built over four years to to build a fan base that is strong is passionate made Wembley completely white out in our most important match of the whole of our of our club's history is now falling apart at the seams because we are lining our pockets quicker than we can get them into the ground and we as Drew says we are so unapologetic about it it almost is frustrating to the point where you'd quite like to grab the person who's decided to impose these sort of ticket prices and just grab them by the collar shake them pretty hard and just ask them what the hell they think they're doing because well, it's unacceptable I- 
We have a chief revenue officer. It's in the, the, the name is in the title. I mean, it's not there isn't even like a pretty name to to dress it up. That's not so blunt. Chief revenue officer. Yeah, but also, no, the there's is, something to be said here because the club. We can't blame the club for wanting to make money. That's not that's not the issue here. The issue isn't can't. the club trying to make money. The issue is the club making money in all of the wrong ways. No, it's the cl- it's the it's the complete ignorance and arrogance that they will alienate a huge section of the most devoted fan base that we've had in decades. And, and for, one the sake, thing that for the sake of potentially getting 4 or 5% more profit. And one thing I forgot to say, it's £50 for over 65 tickets and for young persons. So that's basically, if you're a student, you're maybe 19 and let's say you live up north and you can't, this is what I used to do when I was at Leeds Uni, I would come down Christmas holidays and I would get myself a ticket for one of those games. I couldn't justify a season ticket when I was up in Leeds. I'm a student. I'm a student and it's £50 to go see a football match. I mean, it's just utterly ludicrous. And people over 65 being charged £5 less than an adult. A junior is still £25. It's not exactly small change. I think one of the biggest shames as well, long term, is that, you know, you talk about this chief revenue officer and I forget his name, Casper, Casper somebody. Uh, you know, these these initiatives and these strategies are driven by the staff and personnel at the club at the time. And, you know, Casper is going to be gone in five years. He's going to have gone to, you know, Procter & Gamble or Unilever or something to go and drive their revenues up. And there's going to be a massive cavernous gap of, of Fulham fans left in his wake because of the decisions that he made and the, and the strategies that he imposed at the club. And this football club, when we were last in the Premier League, the ticketing prices... Maybe it got a little bit worse towards the very, very end, but were always so, so reasonable. I remember people used to take the piss. They were like, oh, it's like £2.50 to go see a Fulham game. It's like, is that supposed to be An insult. some kind of insult? <laughs> that's that's the best thing about my club is that it doesn't cost that much to, to go see a game. You can think on the day of a game, oh, yeah, I'll go, I'll go to the Fulham Wigan game and it'll be 20 quid. That's that's great. That's the best thing about it. And by charging £55, you're ripping, you're ripping the soul out of the club. This is a football club. And someone said, oh, why don't you just go and support QPR? Their, their, their tickets are £30. It's not how it works. Yeah, it's a captive market. You know, you don't just switch football teams. And no one's saying that you should. Like, Well, I mean, apart from this person who said go and support QPR, that's a ludicrous way of thinking about things. You're not just going to go and switch football clubs because it's expensive. What you'll do is go to less games. And it means that people will lose interest because they're not able to be part of the club that they love on a week-in, week-out basis. And that damages us. You look at Huddersfield on Monday night, who have you know have actually listened and, and made their prices more accessible for fans in the long run and, and have always kind of been committed to that, despite going up to the Premier League. And I remember there was a big hoo-ha about them keeping their season tickets about 200 quid when they went up and it was you know everyone was very pleased about it and you know right way to run a football club and all these things but you know and and you look at their their i know it was a you know there's there's things to be said about the cliche of having an ultra section but they made noise and they were together and you can see that those people sit together week in week out at the same end you know and they make noise and they you know they drum up the rest of the stadium who might be you know less frequent dwellers of the of the john smith and and it helps to build an atmosphere build a club build a community and we're driving away all of that and then people are like oh i wonder why fulham don't make that much noise and let's just be clear this is everyone's problem so you you know people who i've seen there's some you know the one or two smug people who got their early bird tickets season tickets those are going up next year yeah they're going up by at least 200 quid each uh you know that's going to price me out 
Um, at current rate, we must say. We don't have, have any... Yeah, at, I, so if we stay in the Premier League, they're going to go up by, by at least 200 quid. Now, that's that's going to affect everyone. This is everyone's problem. It's so, everyone's fight. Yeah, we all need to we all need to think about how we're going to drive change here because, you know, we can talk about it on, on, on this and I think this is a conversation that needs to be had. But the next stage is, okay, so what are we going to do about it? And I think that's something that we need to think about. We need to stop being so Fulham about it. Yeah, we need to actually call- have some action that is noticed by the club because you'll be shocked to hear, I don't think Casper listens to the Fulhamish podcast. Well, I wish he did because I'd like to tell him what a bloody idiot he is being. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, li- think about the Liverpool. The club. Yeah, the Liverpool protest. Do you remember they walked out in 79 minutes or something? Because yeah. that was the, I can't remember, I think that might have been the cost of a ticket or something. So they walked out in 79 the, uh, minutes. Uh, uh, at the Emirates. Yeah. That's and Bayern Munich, was it? I remember, well. I remember that happening and being like, is that going to achieve anything? And speaking to Liverpool, it did. It achieved people. People noticed because people were talking about the club on television. People were talking about all these things and it, and it made them reconsider their attitude because their press went through the floor. Everyone was like, well, that's absolutely ludicrous. And in order to do that, you need to do something like that on a game which matters, a game that's on TV, you know, so that people get noticed and, and realise what's happening because that's, you know, that's how things get in motion. Well, it's helpful. There are some people, this this is gathering some momentum. Archie did that tweet last week. It was mentioned on Guardian Football Weekly which is a pretty big football podcast in this country. And it was picked up by other news and media outlets as well. It's it's still small scale at the moment, but, you know, people need to be tweet and, and, and you should have seen some of the replies to the club. Like, not just our tweets, not just Archie's tweets, direct replies to the club's social media. And that, that kind of stuff needs to continue so that it's seen that people are not happy at paying £55 for a single match of football, paying over 50 pence a minute. The fact that we're paying, we've got a cap now on away tickets and, you know, 20 to plenty was the, was the campaign. We're at 30, fine, but it shows that change can, can be achieved. Yeah, exactly. I think we've um, said everything we need to say Agreed. on the matter, but we will keep up this no, fight. We're not, we're not going away. Yeah, yeah, we will keep up this fight as long as these ludicrous ticket prices re- remain in place. And uh, uh, Drew, I think you're spot on with the I'm all right, Jack attitude of some people that have a season ticket we all have season tickets it doesn't affect us directly at all but we it will it's still a fight worth having whether it affects us even if early prices season ticket prices don't go up it's still ludicrous that a game of football costs 55 pounds anyway i digress jack questions what we saying yes we have some questions okay we'll start with a couple of questions about callum chambers one from alex whiteford who says should slav look to continue trying chambers in the cdm role as he looked pretty good there against the top liverpool side he thought that angisa looked much better playing in the two and lester wyatt says could callum chambers be a long-term solution to the number six position with angisa struggling to get to grips with the prem and mcdonald's lack of pace he could prove vital dropping into the defence, which allows the fullbacks to get forward, which is obviously what we were good at last year. Drew, I'll start with you, please. Yeah, I think it's certainly an option. And after uh, after yesterday's game, I'm quite happy to see him continue there against Southampton if that's what uh, Slavisa chooses to do. Um, it was great to see him uh, reinvent himself to a degree uh, in that in that position. And I think you know, I think what we're we're clutching onto it in more hope than anything else. We mentioned it before the pod recorded. There's not a great deal of alternatives that are working at the moment. So uh, short answer is, yeah, absolutely. He could be an option uh, early days, but let's see. I find it remarkable that how this transformation's happened since Cardiff 
that a player I never really wanted to see wear a Fulham shirt ever again is is suddenly the saviour. But he was good yesterday. I thought it was a couple of times he was a little bit weak in the tackle. That was maybe he might have been. He should have maybe been sent off as well. Yes, actually, that was. Uh, pretty poor challenge and he was lucky to stay on the pitch with that one but look he looks composed I think it allowed Anguissa a bit more freedom to be box to box which is clearly a role that suits him and yes Anguissa still misplaced a few passes I yesterday. He had a bad second half yeah. it, was, it was okay first half he had a bad bad second half. And also it gave Kearney some freedom how nice was it to see Kearney play much higher up the pitch and actually be influencing the play at, at the top half of the midfield rather than from his usual quarterback position. It seems a shame that Seri has to be abandoned, but at the moment he's on such bad form, I don't think that's necessarily a, a terrible thing. Mm. I, yeah, I quite like these changes. I thought that having Anguissa use the, the most of his energy in and around closing down the space was probably the best thing we could have done in that midfield there. At times we've looked really, really easy to play through and when we come to record the stat show uh, in the next couple of days and you'll see it in the next week or so, we're going to probably counter that and we'll, we'll talk through why that is and how we are statistically quite bad in midfield. But having having uh, Chambers in there, sorry, and having energy around him and getting people in and around him in order for us to distribute the ball well for, for a large majority of the time was actually really inspiring, well, not inspiring, but really positive to see. And it was really nice to see TC push a little bit further up. I thought, based on that Huddersfield game, we needed someone to close that gap between Mitrovic and the midfield because it's acres at times and just to leave TC up there and slightly more central for him to get a grip on the ball was really good and I think perhaps switching to a three at the back with two sort of holding and letting TC roam around behind Mitrovic and one other making um, like sort of making some moves and hassling the defenders might actually be might actually suit us quite a bit and especially if we get some wing backs and the likes of Christie and Sessegnon and Joe Bryan who can really close that space and exploit high and wide quite quickly we could become quite a good counter-attacking team because I think the identity we had last year has all but disappeared now we're not going to be able to play like that for the rest of the season in my opinion see I disagree a tad not not mo- I think on the whole you're, you're probably spot on but I think that having a solid six like Chambers was in that game I'm not saying he's going to be the answer and I don't want to make prophecies that might not come true but if he does continue in that vein and can make that position his own having a defensively minded six allows us to experiment with different options. You know, against someone like Liverpool, who are obviously going to dominate possession and and look to exploit us, you can play someone like Anguissa, whose energy, yes, he wasn't very good, but his energy mm-hmm. got around the pitch and, you know, he made tackles and he fouled players. And we've said this before, like, he makes he makes fouls in areas where other players don't, in ter- and in a good way, in terms of he just breaks play up sometimes when when it looks like it's going to go on a counter and things. And also, it means that against teams where we look to dominate possession, so against Southampton at home, against the likes of Huddersfield, where we should have tried to play the ball on the floor and get around them, you can play Chambers and then let Seri and Kearney try and dictate the play together. And if you can do that, and you can adapt who your eight is in a system where you have a settled six and a ten, depending on your opposition, I think that we probably won't need to go for three at the back. I think we'll be able to... Tuck in, if if Anguise is in there, then Chambers almost becomes a third centre-back anyway, because... The, the kind of box-to-box forces your defensive midfielder backwards. But in games where you want the ball, it's better to have the third man in midfield who's looking to, to kind of control possession and therefore having two creative players and a solid six allows you to, to spread that play without necessarily 
losing either of the attacking ability of the fullbacks. And so I think that looking that way, it might work out very well for us if he can keep up this vein of form. That's why I didn't think we were too far off a formation that worked for us when we played Arsenal. You know? Yeah. I thought if we had more of a, of a focal point in the middle of the pitch and, and we'd converted to two strikers rather than three, at, three up top, then it would have worked much better for us. So this is from Raheem. I, I quite like this question. He says, do... What's Sterling? Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, would, I would give you some more, but his name actually on Twitter is Raheem5243584. So it's not going to give me any more clues, but he does contribute regularly. So thank you, Raheem. He says, do we need more pace up top to support Mitro? Sessignon is fast, but someone else to assist him with pace on the right-hand side might be useful. Just have a look at how terrified Arsenal were of Wolves' attacking outlets in Cavalero and Traore, who played either side of Raul Jimenez yesterday. I think it's a valid point. I think it's a very valid point, and it's part of the thing with Schürrle, who you kind of described perfectly, does have pace, but is slow to get to that pace and that's the beauty with, with Vieto especially if you're playing that counter-attacking style that we did yesterday Sessegnon and Vieto off the side of Mitrovic is a really really scary prospect for defenders I mean Wolves looked amazing yesterday they were literally attacking at will we don't have an Adama Traore who not only has raw pace but also enormous power at the same time he's he's a hell of a player and then Cavalero is is such a tidy player as well and then Raul Jimenez is just one of the most intelligent footballers I've ever seen his link up play is absolutely unbelievable yeah but I, I think the more pace that you get around Mitro, the better. And actually, it was great to see Sess and Mitro link up so well yesterday. They linked up as well well at Cardiff, that goal that Sessegnon scored, that second one there as well. He's, his anticipation of where Mitro's going to knock it down is brilliant. And I think that if we do end up going to a slightly more direct style, that's going to be crucial for us. Those runs that Sessegnon makes, he just needs to up his finishing a little bit, Sess. Oh, I mean, we'd never say that, hey? No, I know. He's lost that clinical edge that he had last season. I tweeted it yesterday. If that was at Bramall Lane, that's in the bottom corner. I think maybe just the pressure he's putting on himself to impress in the Premier League is just meaning that some of that cold-blooded ice through his veins that he had last season has evaporated a bit. Yeah, and I think if you're coming up against somebody like Alisson, you're probably in the back of your mind thinking you know that he's you know much better than... You know, Millwall's number has, one. Yeah, or, this has to know. be good to beat him almost. Yeah, exactly. And you, you, you don't have that amount of time to overthink things like that. And it's probably one of those things as well. And I think uh, if we get on a on a run, maybe, possibly at some point during the season, then Please maybe that will come back. <laughs> Couple more. This one's from Luke. He says, Sherla does nothing for the team. Am I wrong, Ben? Yeah, he does do stuff for the team. What? In that he tracks forward and back. He does occasionally try to score. He often balloons it over the bar from 30 yards. I'd argue these are all things for the team that he does. Not particularly well. <laughs> Sammy, he, I know at, at the start of the season, I really I really did like Scherler. Um Towards these last four or five games, I've become increasingly frustrated with him because he just doesn't do the simple thing. He really is intent on scoring the most beautiful goal he can. Just pop it in the net. I didn't think he was as bad yesterday. I was going to say, you had strong feelings on this after I, Huddersfield. Yeah, I, was, I was fuming after Huddersfield, but I didn't think he was as bad yesterday. I thought he didn't shirk his defensive responsibilities as much yesterday. I mean, he didn't really have much choice when Liverpool just had so much of the ball. But yeah, it's still a long way to go before Shirley's in my good books. I'm going to start the next question with you, Drew. This is quite a good one from Richard Sol Bamba, who we've nicknamed ourselves. Mitro won booking away from a one-match ban now. 
thoughts and do we know where we stand with other players' yellow cards given the bingo we've seen and the stability we were hoping for? Uh, I think the main point of this is just to address Mitro, really. One match away from a, a yellow card ban. What would we do without Mitrovic? Good Christ. Stefan Johansson, false nine. Yeah, yeah, we see that one again. <laughs> I'm going to bang my head slowly against the table until I die. Oh, my. I mean, can, can that happen? Corley. Can that happen Corley's for a throwaway weekend. game? Yeah, get, recall him, yeah. Recally, Corley. Don't recall him ever. <laughs> recally. <laughs> Hashtag recally. Could do is start with Alfie Mawson up top. Yeah. And we just play as if we're 1-0 down in the 95th minute for the whole 90 minutes. Literally, who would play there? I imagine it would be someone like Ayite or something like that. Surely it'd be Vieto. Yeah, I think it'd probably be Vieto, but I can't... Shirla. It's a completely different way of playing, though. Shirley. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we have to adapt, but at the same time, you know, sometimes you have to adapt. Well, let's be honest, it's happening, right? Because uh, he's going to get a fifth before Christmas. It's just not even being Aggie or anything like that. It's just from it's just going to happen. Well, yeah, part, of me wants him to, part of me wants him to get a yellow card then maybe against Southampton. What, miss the Chelsea game? Are you we're, not, we're never going to beat Chelsea anyway. I'd rather be him be not fit Not an attitude for, like that, Sammy. Yeah, exactly. I'd rather him be fit for Leicester, West Ham. Okay, maybe I could live with him out and playing. He loves derbies. We've already talked about this loads wow. of times. Mitrovic loves a derby. Okay, so he scored in the eternal derby. Yeah. Scores against Chelsea. Whack. Oh, no. No, I don't know. Takes your shirt I don't, off. I can't, he can't miss Leicester. Leicester. He can't miss yeah, West we need, Ham. We need him at home. We need him at home. So Leicester gets a goal, wraps this top off. Happy he de- we definitely need him, need him against Newcastle. That United. would be gutting. United. We'll yeah. miss, he let, can miss the, the United let game. Let him miss United. We'll play with fast players against United. They're, they're terrible at the back. He's just got to be better. Put Darren Bent on at the front again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's just got to be better about getting that yellow than Beckham was that time. I think it was against Wales where it was just so obvious. Yeah, that was obvious. All right, last question. This is from David Manning. He's caveated it, so hear me out. He says, is Kearney a strong enough character and leader to be captain of a team already in a relegation scrap? Would someone like Mawson or K-Mac be better, or does it not matter? He says he's Team Kearney, by the way, but he's interested in our thoughts. So, Samuel, I'll, I'll lead with you here. I don't see the value in changing a captain officially now. I think all you'll do is knock Kearney's confidence and anger him and that would be a worse thing than maybe the galvanising effect that it might have if you pick a slightly better leader on the pitch. I think it's a general common misconception about how important a captain is to a team anyway. Is, is TC a natural leader? No. Is K-Mac probably the actual leader in the dressing room? Yes. Maybe not anymore. Well, you'd still imagine he's a pretty impactful force even being on the substitutes bench. I don't know who maybe else is the natural leader in the team without K-Mac playing. You could pretend- Mitrovic, probably. Mitrovic. He's always been my pick, but I co-sign what you say a thousand percent. Like the, ben- the negatives outweigh the positives in this completely. Yeah, and if you're absolutely. a natural leader, you're gonna, that's going to come out on the pitch anyway. If Mawson's a natural leader, he's going to do that by marshalling his defence and keeping some clean sheets and and you know doing everything that he needs to do I think the cream rises to the top in that regard so I don't I, I, yeah I, I don't think it would be a disaster because you can just you know as much as I love TC you can see he might have a strop or two in him if uh, if things don't go particularly his way and if he's publicly shamed in that way right or wrongly depending on how you look at it I just think that that could be potentially yeah disastrous yeah I'm, I'm with you I think that the negatives are, are too dangerous to be thinking about this also I think that if we actually you know, can get ourselves going again. Obviously, Tom Kenny will be happier. And he's just coming back from injury. If he gets back to full fitness and can start to influence games again, then obviously that will start to boost his confidence again. And we yeah. might be able to see the kind of ending 
the, the Kenny we saw at the end of last season who who was and turned into that leader that we needed and you know there's nothing to say that can't happen again yeah exactly and also I seem to recall the words after the playoff final were he's proved everything he ever needs to prove in his captaincy and I think we still only six months uh, after the playoff final do need to honour and respect that yes he has his moments after Huddersfield when he ran down the tunnel was a little bit of a disgrace but ultimately I think you're right about the negatives that way and the positives any more questions Jack? That's the lot Good stuff. Well, uh, we've dissected Liverpool. We've had a bit of a rant about ticket prices, answered some of your questions as well. There's not going to be a Fulhamish extra this week because there's no game on Saturday. Um, But there will be a stats show uh, dropping in your podcast feeds and your YouTube feeds as well at the beginning of next week. Ben, uh, what what we got coming up on the, uh, the old stats show? Uh, in a period of time where we've managed to pick up uh, a massive zero points, we're going to be looking at how we can improve ourselves going forward. Um, we're going to be looking at why the midfield um, has been so easy to play through. How can we bring Mitrovic into the game a little bit more? Um, and we're touching on who really has been our best defender over these past sort of four to eight games. I mean, I was just thinking this earlier. I'm not saying that it's all down to you guys, but since you started the stats show, I don't think we've won a game of football. No, we haven't actually. No, I think we've picked up a grand total of um, yeah zero points since we've started it. So it <laughs> could be the last one, guys. Uh, I mean, Fulhamish actually started off in a similar vein. Can it you did. remember? I was we... thinking we, we against Bur- we we went about five episodes without a win, didn't we? Yeah, I remember thinking, are we ever going to discuss a single victory on this podcast where we started yeah. this? So maybe things will get better in the end, Ben. Maybe we'll uh, finish top of the league in a couple mm. of seasons. I doubt it. Um, <laughs> Jack, what are we naming the podcast today? Cops and Robbers. Cops and Robbers. Oh, yeah, you mentioned it at the start. So uh, that is the podcast title for today. Shout thank out, Matty Man. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, Drew Heatley, thank you for being here. Thank you. And, I'm, and by the way, I'm very worried about Farrell. He's been at the pub for half an hour on his own. So Yeah, we need to we need to wrap this up, don't <laughs> we? Uh, ben Jarman, thank you very much. Thanks, Sammy. Nice and to be Senior back. Secretary Jack Collins, thank you very much. Thank you, Sammo. Uh, have a nice international break. Jack's going to be in charge of hosting duties <laughs> for the next couple of weeks as I'm on holiday. Oh, uh, Sorry about that, Full, lads. Fulham-esque is uh, making its steady rise to prominence. Uh, so I will see you back in December. And uh, thank you for listening. See you soon. Woo.